Bibles. Uh, I'm going to continue. We've been doing all May on, uh, I said, Ladies of Faith. That's probably a good title, right? Ladies of Faith. And so open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 1. I'm going to look at a few verses at the end of John 1 and then John 2. Now, we don't see her in Hebrews 11. Uh, we don't, we only read a few words she said, but I wanted to look at Mary, Jesus's mother, and so I called today, By Faith, Mary. By Faith, Mary. Again, we don't see her in, in Hebrews 11, but if you've been with us this whole month, we started out by faith and we looked at Hannah. And Hannah was the one that uh, prayed and believed God and had Samuel, as I said earlier. There's no prophet Samuel without Hannah. The next week we looked at Sarah. And Sarah also through believing, unbelieving, laughing, and then laughing because she was excited about it. By faith, Sarah received their son Isaac. And she was 90 years old, right, when she had Isaac. 90 years old. And then last week, in fact, I, I liked last week's one. Last week's we looked at Timothy's grandma, Lois, and then Timothy's mom's Eunice that the Apostle Paul, in prison, writing to Timothy, reminded Timothy that he's in a, a line of a heritage of faith, and he wanted Timothy to remember your grandma, remember your mom, remember the faith of them, stir yourself up. And so we look at those, lady, those of you ladies that not only have kids, but have grandkids, some of you have great-grandkids, some of you have neighbor's kids, and so the importance of depositing God's word in them. So today we wrap up uh, this month of ladies of faith. That's probably what I should have called it. Ladies of faith. Doesn't that sound better? Ladies of faith with Mary. And so let me read a couple of these verses. John chapter one. Let me turn over there. All this year, our, we've been calling it focused. And I got that out of Hebrews 11 and reading about the people of faith. And they were focused. And it's not a word we see in scripture. But they were focused on having faith in God, and none of them knew of Jesus yet. There were sure enough hints and enough prophetic words. So all year long, we're going back into the Old Testament and looking at people of faith, but also looking at Jesus. Now, Mary, we're reading in the New Testament here, but Mary has some powerful words, I believe, for us. So let me read these verses, John 1, and let me read verse 29 through 34, just to remind us that Jesus has done no miracles yet. He's about 30 years of age. We pick this story up here in John. It says, the next day he, this is talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man whose ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, John is saying, here's what God said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, 
This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, a couple of the other Gospels will say this, that they heard God speak, this is my beloved Son. One of them says, listen to him. One of them says, in whom I am well pleased. They all saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain on him. And Jesus is about 30 years of age, has not performed any miracles yet. And so that brings us into John 2. And I want to pick up these uh, first few verses. And it says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. If you hear anything today, would you hear just these few words? Do whatever he tells you. Now that's Jesus. Do whatever he tells you. Jesus tells you to do. Verse 6. Now there was six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take them to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the, of the, then the poor wine, when people, uh, I mean, I'm reading the English Standard Version, I'm used to New King James my entire life. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed him. So Lord, we stop and we pause today. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. When we read these words... Though we may have read these over and over before, Lord, I thank you that you can speak to our hearts even today. And as Mary believed in what Jesus would do, though she hadn't seen anything yet, Father, let our hearts believe when you tell us and instruct us what to do. And we bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Every wedding that I do, I always start with this story of, you know, of Jesus performing a miracle at a wedding. And, um, and I usually say something funny like, and you too need a miracle. You know, and usually you see the in-laws, you know, shaking their heads. Well, here in this story, we see Jesus is invited. Mary is invited. But I think Mary might have been involved. Because it sure seems that she's involved and she's concerned that they've run out of, of wine. You know, I, I wonder at a wedding, just like many of us, when we go to different events and we see different families, what conversations could be going on. 
Obviously, she must have known the couple very well or, or known of them. But I'm sure somebody said, hey, tell us, uh, what's Jesus up to these days? Well, he's a carpenter. Yeah, I saw he's hanging out with a bunch of guys. What do they do? Because one of them told me he used to be a tax collector. The other one was a fisherman. Uh, you know, he's got all these different guys. Well, they're, they're starting a ministry. What's a ministry? He hadn't done anything yet. Is he still living at home? He's 30? No, he's a carpenter. We, you know, there's, you just wonder the conversations. You know how it is. Everybody's trying to say, oh, you know, my kid, you know, they, they, they got the five-star award at school. You know, everybody's trying to come up with something. But there's nothing mentioned. There's nothing going on. You just kind of wonder because Jesus is invited. The disciples are invited. And if you were going to do your very first miracle, what would it be? Would it be water to wine? You know, I'm going to wow everybody today. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to the water to wine miracle. Now, you know, you would go for the big things, wouldn't you? You'd go raise the dead. You'd go clear out a hospital. You'd, you'd find somebody blind or deaf. You would do those things. But here's what's important with Jesus. He is not intentionally going out to do miracles. He does them because the Father instructs him to do so. You can look up or write it down, John 5, 19, because Jesus says with his own words, I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only say what I hear my Father saying. He's not independent of the Father. He's not going around, you know, hey, we're at this wedding today, and I'm, I'm going to do some tricks. That's not Jesus. That's not his heart. He even says when we read it before, he didn't even know it was his time. He's not, he's waiting for God's instruction to move. You know, we had a, uh, we had a visitor, and they're not here today, so I can tell the story. We had a visitor come about a year or so ago, and we were doing a potluck, and evidently we were short on food, and this first-time visitor went to Ralph's, and they ended up spending a lot of money on fried chicken. Oh, I was so embarrassed. You know, they were as fine, they were as fine as can be, but that's a, you know, when you're having an event, isn't it like, you don't want to run out of anything, do you? You invite people over for dinner and say, you know what I was going to cook tonight, we don't have, I have cereal. Would you like cereal? No, you prepare, don't you? You know, you don't want to run out of anything. All of us have probably been somewhere and they've run out. You know, if you're going out for Taco Tuesday somewhere and you go early and they're out of tacos, aren't you bummed? What do you mean? You advertise Taco Tuesday and there's no tacos? No, I don't want a burrito. I wanted tacos. Well, back in Bible times, running out was an embarrassment. In fact, running out was a social embarrassment. Weddings back in these times could last three to six days. And you're feeding people, you're giving drink to people. Man, that would make you almost pull your hair out if you were the planner making sure to feed everybody. Now, some of you have that down. When there's a big group of people, some of you can figure out exactly what you need. Some of you have no idea, do you? You keep, you know, the pizza delivery guy on the hotline just so you know what to get. But back then, you didn't want to run out. It's a total embarrassment. But we read that Mary gets involved, so she's either part of helping out, knows somebody, or she just wants to help. And I thought this was interesting, a couple other translations. In fact, after Mary orders the servants, she's telling them, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. 
Jesus says this. In fact, I wanted to read John 2, 4 again. And Jesus says to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Why are you concerned that they've run out of wine? What does that have to do with me? And then he goes on, he says, My hour has not yet come. Well, in John, uh, same verse, and I, I want to read out of the passage translation, it says, Jesus replied, My dear one, you don't understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Here's what I thought was interesting about Mary, and the only thing that we read in the scripture about Mary is a couple things. Mary has the angel Gabriel appear to her. And if you read early on, especially in Luke, she is afraid, and the instructions that the, Abriel, the, the angel Gabriel give her of is God's going to come upon you, and you're going to have a child, and he's going to be great. And his name will be, you know, she goes through all of this. She is afraid. Then she tries to figure that out. I'm not even married. I, I, don't, I have not known a man. She's trying to figure all of that out. But here's what Mary does. At the end of that, she says, let it be to me according to your words. In that crazy of how will this all work? How, how am I going to tell family? How is, this gonna, how is all of this going to work out? She changes what she says, and she says, let it be to me according to your word. She has faith in what she heard wasn't something of a bad dream. It was from God. Now what she wants to pass on, in fact, when we read, these are the last words of Mary recorded in Scripture. And one of the things that she says is, what, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know, the introduction of the ministry and power of Jesus, think about that, happens at a wedding, right? The ministry and power of Jesus happens at a wedding. Mary's not passing out his teaching series. Mary's not trying to connect him to go speak at different synagogues or to go to these little home gatherings or anything like that. She sees a problem and she knows that this Jesus can solve it. But here's what we know in the scripture. We just read it a minute ago. Jesus had now just been baptized. We don't know if it was a few days, a week uh, or so. He'd just been baptized. He had not done any miracles. You know, we were uh, asked to go see a movie a couple years ago and preview it for a Christian organization. But it was all on Jesus as a little child. And one of them was... Uh, he made this clay, a sparrow, and then blew at it, and the sparrow flew. Have you ever read that in your Bible? No. He healed an old blind man at like five or six years old. Have you ever read that in your Bible? No. The, the only thing that they knew about Jesus, what was said to both Mary and Joseph, Mary the angel Gabriel, Joseph in a dream, wise men showing up, having to flee, we don't read anything about Jesus. We don't, we don't see that he had a special place at the dinner table every night. This is Jesus' place. Kids, you all get away. You know, he is the holy anointed one. No, there, there's, there's none of that at all. The only thing that we see about him is he's missing for three days. 
And when they finally find him, they're distraught because he's been missing. He's not where he should be. And he says those words that, that we read in Luke. He says, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? He was found at the temple and he's asking questions and he's uh, responding to different questions. And they were amazed that he was in tune. There's no miracles. There's nothing else that Jesus has done. Now he's going to start to do the miracles only because God is telling him to do it. He's not showing off. This isn't something where he's just going to show off and say, yeah, there you go, water to wine. He's not going to do that. So as we read on the story, those last words of Mary, do whatever he tells you. Trust in what he tells you to do. Mary hasn't seen anything yet. She's not seen a miracle. But she trusts in him because of the word that was passed down to her. Mary can't determine Jesus' time. Jesus can't determine his time. The Father's the one that determines his time. And evidently, right here, right now, at this wedding, when they run out of wine, there's going to be a miracle. And it's not a show. It's not anything. And as you'll notice, Jesus doesn't touch the water. Jesus didn't have like instant wine packets back in his robe that he went around and poured it in just to show off. He doesn't touch it. The servants do it. It's a whole process on there. So I want to read this verse out of Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. Mary had faith in looking to him. Jesus was not yet looking into himself to say, hey, I can handle this, this is done. But we're to look at him to find out how and why and what he did so that when he tells us to do something, we do it. I like this in John 2, 11 at the end. And I'll hit on this at the end. These are the beginning of signs. These are the beginning of signs. Water to wine. In fact, let me read that again here for just a minute. Let me pick that up in verse 6 of John 2. So there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Let me tell you, those things are heavy. There's no instant water out there. You're either taking those to a well to fill them up, or you're finding some stream and as many as you know, water gets very, very heavy. This wasn't something that was all ready to go and ready to do. This was an actual process. So these servants are filling up all six, six with water. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. Everybody say to the brim. Anybody ever give you coffee and it's to the top? You try to like, what do you do? Slowly, you know, slowly come over. You don't want to spill on you. Well, these things are full all the way to the top. Nobody's slipping anything in. Nobody's throwing in anything instant. You know, there's, there's no mixture going in. They are filled full to the top. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Well, we read it earlier. What did the master of the feast say about this wine? That's the best in the world. Most people 
serve the best first. And then when all that's gone, you bring out the bad, the cheap stuff. But you've saved what? The best for last. You know, there's a few things as we look at Jesus that I thought about even differently reading this. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said these words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. You know, there are many people today that don't believe that we should go back and go through the Old Testament. That the Old Testament is old. No, we're not under the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. But here's what Jesus said. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? Fulfill. Fulfill them. And then he goes on in John 1, 17. In fact, John says these words. For the law was given to, through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What was Moses' first plague that he performed, or one of the plagues that he performed in Egypt? Water to what? Blood. Somebody said wine. No, he didn't do the, the water to wine. No. It was water to blood. How many of you freak out when there's blood? I don't. I don't. Anybody freak out when there's blood? So when there's blood, oh boy, right? Everybody goes scrambling. People start getting sick. Some of you are like, oh man, I love it. I just, you know, okay. But most time, well, we're reading blood in the river, blood in the house, blood, 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 blood everywhere. It was a judgment on Egypt. It was one of the plagues. You know, there was a deliverance that took through water when Moses was told by God to go ahead and go through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted up on a heap. They were able to go through. That water was moved for deliverance. So in Moses' ministry, there was water that turned to blood. There was water that raised up in a heap. There was a rock that he hit. In fact, he was pretty angry too when he hit it. But he hit a rock that gave water. But Jesus is also showing us something when we look at what he does. The, um, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. He can take this water and he can turn it to wine. And here's what I saw, oh, it was over a year ago when we were actually going through, reading through John 2. Genesis 1-2, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Hovering over the face of of the waters. There's waters on earth. The Bible says in Genesis 1-2, before God ever says anything, we read that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the water. What's the Holy Spirit waiting for? He's waiting for God to speak, because when God speaks, the Holy Spirit is the power part of that trinity. He's going to go into action. So Jesus here with the water doesn't touch the water, doesn't put his fingers in the water. The water's filled to the brim of these pots. He just tells them to do what? Dips them out and go ahead and take them to the, it's really the master of the ceremonies. He doesn't touch them. But I get this picture that the Holy Spirit is just hovering over those six jars of water, waiting to be able to act and to do what Jesus says to do. Because when Jesus says to do something, the Holy Spirit is going to move. And when he drinks that water that went to wine, man, he's blown away because they said you saved the best for last. 
But here's the best part of the story. Nobody knows who did it. Wouldn't you want to find out? Hey, who brought that fried chicken to the potluck? First time visitors. Really? Let's say hello. Let's welcome them to our church. No, usually if somebody brings you a dish or has something somewhere, don't you want the recipe? Do you ever ask for people? Hey, do you ever give that recipe? No, that's a family recipe. We don't, well, can you bake that for me every week? <laughs> can, you, can you do that, you know, as often as you bake? Can you bake some for me? Jesus never touches the water part. All he says, and really it is a faith statement, dips them out and take them to the master. You know, the other thing with Jesus' life, when we read the wine, he, they, here's what was said. You saved the best for what? Last. We would think that the best part of Jesus' ministry we now get to read, starting in John 2. We get to read about all of his teachings, all of his healings, all of the miracles that took place. But does the best last? Beaten was last. Death on the cross was last. But resurrection was the last thing. And there's not a last. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. There's no end. But he did the best part of his ministry at the end when nobody was around. And that was submitting his life to death and then to resurrection so that everybody around could be filled. And that's what I saw when we went through the pots. I think all of us, at some point in our life, or maybe today, are empty jars. And the great thing when you read through the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, when John writes, he writes all about water in different places. And in just a conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well, water is brought up. And he talks about that the water that he wants to give would become in her a fountain and that she would never thirst again. Now she's thinking, I don't ever have to draw water. No, he's thinking about the Holy Spirit on the inside. See, we all start off at jars, don't we? Empty jars. And I love it how it reads that we get filled halfway. Does anybody ever do that to you? You, you go through a drive-thru and you head on out and you get your stuff and they filled it halfway. Ah, oh, you don't have time to go back. That's not what God fills you full to the brim, right? Completely full to the brim. And here's what's interesting is he's doing that to make sure that you're filled. We're in charge of keeping ourselves full from here on out. He's going to fill us up, but we're responsible for keeping our, ourselves full. But we're not alone because he gave us the Holy Spirit, right? The best for last. The best for last. You know, Jesus is not doing a sideshow just to show a miracle. I, I think he's wanting to show us that he wants to fill us a full, anew, that there's life found in him, there's life when we go to him, that we go to him on a daily, many times, many times a day, and call out to him to be refreshed and refueled and filled up and fired up. Uh, and he wants people, just like these servants, he wants people to partner with him 
in his ministry. Notice the disciples weren't the ones filling up the jars. Peter was probably strong enough. Here's this rough, tough fisherman. He probably would have been glad to fill all those up by himself. But he uses some unnamed servants to fill it up. They knew what happened. They knew. We don't read in Scripture that they went on to say anything. But they knew what happened. But if I back this story up, Mary saw it in Jesus, though having done no miracles, she knew that what he stood for and what he came to do would be so powerful, even something as dumb and insignificant as turning water to wine, that Jesus had authority to do so. I thought about that this week. There's nothing in my life too insignificant that God doesn't care about. If he turned water to wine, don't you think he's concerned about you? There's nothing too small. Let me end with this. When we read uh, John 2.11, it says, These are the first of signs. That's a, a Greek word that means a token. A token. I wrote it in my Bibles. This was a token of what he would do. Now, I'll tell you what. You bring in water to me, I can't turn the water to wine. I can't turn it to Kool-Aid without anything instant. Jesus could take this water and just by saying, dip it out and take it to the master, it's completely changed to the best wine that was served at all of that wedding. He can take those things that don't seem so significant or insignificant and he can turn them all around because here's what he does. He does the best last. You and I are his best. Right? And he's not done with you, but you and I are his best. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Well, Father, we come before you and when we look at this short section of scripture, and even if we read your Bible through, we see over and over and over again that Jesus came to fulfill everything. In fact, the Bible says, uh, in a different almost translation, he's come to cross every T, dot every I. Fulfillment. He never does sideshows. He's not trying to impress the crowd. The crowd didn't even know he did it. But he lived to honor you. And so, Father, I pray today in all of our lives, there's nothing insignificant that you don't care about. But, Lord, our prayer is like the prayer that we read in the Old Testament that we would incline or we would turn our ear to listen to you. We would open our eyes to go through your words because your word is life speaking to us. We're actually told to search for these words, to search and to find them, that it's life to those that find them and it's health to all of our flesh. Lord, allow this relationship with you to be like Mary, that we know that if you just say something, it's going to come to pass because you said it. We do what you tell us to do. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never confessed him as your Savior, we want to give you that opportunity today. In fact, as I pray, I would like all of us 
to say this prayer. But if you're praying this for the first time, or even uh, praying this as a time to come back to the Lord, pray this like Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. Repeat this after me, everyone. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that he lived. And that he died for me. But he rose again. I accept him as my Lord. My Savior. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.